Welcome to The Woods. The Woods is a podcast for those leaving traditional religious beliefs in search of true connection and personal growth. You may be here because you had to leave the church village you've always known, and maybe you stumbled upon us looking for community, or maybe you're still freaked out because you think you're going to hell now. Well, come to hell with us. I'm Lindsay Bacardo. <laughs> and I'm Lauren Moffat. Together, we're setting up camp with a warm fire to build a community with others who are also finding their way to the woods. The topics that are off limits in the village are welcome here in the woods. We're so glad you're here. Yeah, we are. Okay, well. today we are talking about therapy. What roles does it play? Why does it happen? Why do we go? And how is it different between, you know, the church and the secular world, or like we like to call it the village and the wild woods? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. They're very different. Yes. What are some of the differences off the bat before we even share some of our stories? Um, well, I think when I, when I'm seeing someone in the secular world, there's usually like a model that they're using or a method or yeah. research like based well evidence, research. yeah, stuff like that. Um, you know, in my practice, this is what, this is the methodology that we use. This is what we've seen work. And in the church, what have you seen? It's like, you naughty. <laughs> <laughs> You're a naughty, naughty kitten. kitten. <laughs> You're a naughty kitten. You have to get back in line. <laughs> but seriously, that is exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Uh, what exactly did you do wrong? I want to know exactly what you've done. And I mean, like creepy levels of just no patient client confidentiality. Mm. No framework. I have met awesome Christian therapists who do use research-based mm -hmm. framework. They mm -hmm. use Gottman and stuff, but they'll also say, I have no moral compass around you marrying and staying with this person or getting a divorce. That is not my role. And I remember I had a Christian therapist say that. And I was like, thank you for mm -hmm. being like morally neutral towards a decision that does not impact you. Mm -hmm. And ultimately he was the therapist that was like, you got to go. You should not be in this scenario. Mm. Even though it was like, you know, labeled as a Christian therapist. So I think that's part of the catch too of what we're talking about today. Cause you could be a Christian, you could work with people and keep your hands open and Very much be so. non-judgmental. Unfortunately, you and I have between the two of us had like 20 therapists and that is very rare. I was going to say that at the beginning, like disclaimer. Yeah. We have seen all of therapists. No, I'm just kidding. Not we really. Have, we have, we have, we've seen a, a good sampling size. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think this is what brought this up. There's a lot of reasons this conversation came up. We've been wanting to talk about it for a while, mm -hmm. just directly. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to hear from the community too mm -hmm. about their, your experience. We want to hear about your experience in either Christian therapy or secular therapy and what you noticed um, that was different, what brought you there, all of that. But I remember when I was first going to therapy, it was because my marriage was like suffocating me. And I also had a belief that you could not be healthy and be gay. Mm. And so even thinking about like a healthy approach to my sexuality, to being gay, like that wasn't even an op, that wasn't even on the table. There's something, if you're gay, I was taught there's something wrong with your relationship with your parents. You have some sort of perversion. If you try to have a family, your kids are going to be messed up. They need to have a male example. They need to have, you know, testosterone in the house to be balanced kids. 
And that's really why I resisted coming out or didn't even really have language for it for a long time. So I'm going to therapy trying to treat uh, anxiety and you know, lack of fulfillment and confusion and tension with my husband. I'm going for all these things, but I'm not able to really open up and explore. Yeah, me too. I can remember thinking all of those things. I mean, as you were talking, I had the same checklist in my brain. How It's not possible for people to have a healthy relationship and be gay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people would say you're asking for a really hard life. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um how could you do that to your kids? Just the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. So with and you we're going to talk about some of the research later about gay families. Yeah. Because it's fascinating. Uh, I remember when I was going through EMDR therapy, eye movement, desensitization, eye movement. You got it. <laughs> desensitization and reprocessing. Have you ever heard of EMDR? Mm-hmm. Okay. So EMDR is, it's this really cool, um, experience where you you literally move your eyes back and forth that this is going to sound like hypnotism or something it kind of is but you basically use your eyes to um access your brain in a different way so when you move your eyes back and forth it creates an opportunity for you to go back to traumatic events and take some of the emotional weightiness off of it. And I can't explain why we should have a therapist come on and actually explain how this works. It works though. It does. And so I was having that done because I'd had some traumatic encounters with my ex and just really was having panic attacks. And it's a great, it could be a great treatment for like anxiety Mm -hmm, anxiety. and trauma. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember at one point we were talking and my therapist was like, I just really want you to find a nice Christian man. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I had already secretly, obviously I hadn't disclosed this because I wasn't allowed to be gay, but I had secretly considered maybe I'm gay. And when she said that, Mm -hmm. I remember like the heat coming up my neck, Mm -hmm. feeling really embarrassed, like I could feel my face flushing Mm -hmm. and I never went back. Mm -hmm. I just was like, yeah, no, I'm good. Mm -hmm. I feel really healed and not traumatic, traumatized anymore. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) And then I gave her, this is so weird, but I used to have all these Max Lucado books and she was like obsessed with him. I'm like, dude, I have like a hundred Max Lucado books. You want them? And I like dropped them off at her office. Oh my gosh. And I was like, see ya. And I like peeled out of there and never went back. He like wrote, I'm gay in the inner cover. Dear (laughs) so-and-so. I was gay the whole time and you didn't know. I'm not cured. You didn't cure me at all. You actually somehow made it worse. But it was just, it's, it's very interesting to see how some therapists feel the freedom to share their moral compass with you in the way that they think you should live. And I think that's the thing with Christian therapy. Um, you're actually trying to educate somebody to think about the world a certain way. And I find with secular therapy, you use frameworks to help somebody understand themselves more. It's totally different. Yeah, I think there's a spiritual lens. What you're saying is exactly my own experience mm-hmm. of part of the conversation. And that was one of the conversations. I was actually an ask, like, are you a Christian? And are you seeking me because I'm a Christian therapist? And if so, then that means that we're going to play in that land too, which we're is in the, in, this, in the moral land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I can remember for myself, you know, when I... I was going through a divorce too. And my we first went, one, my first we went, one, we've guys. been through some divorces, guys. <laughs> Listen, 
my Listen, first. You don't. Have, we we have no judgment left <laughs> for I anybody. Baby. I should have never walked down that aisle. But anyway, um, you know, I walked into this therapist, and and it was an abusive relationship with my husband at the time. I mean, just a bad scenario. Bad. Not like oh, yeah. like. I'm not happy. It, it, leaving somebody because you're not happy is okay too. But it was like, we are in. Like, this is a lifetime special, y'all. I had to leave. A violent scenario in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I say that because it sets up this story that I found this Christian therapist. And I'm thinking this this will be like my one last ditch effort to feel very clean. Because at that, you can imagine. I mean, for me as a Christian, I'll just say that. For me as a Christian, divorce was not an option. And the amount of shame, I mean, I was only married for a year and a half. So I wanted to do, you know, anything yeah. I could. Yeah. I meet with this therapist. Um, she, her first response was to give me this book and talked about how I needed to submit to my husband. <laughs> and I, the book started off with a story about baseball and how I needed to like, pay attention to my husband's needs and then take him there. And I'm like, this is, you are so off the grid. Yes. Yeah. I wrote I, her, I remember I wrote her a, a nasty gram, which it really wasn't Your a nasty gram. Would be like, very I much don't like, feel <laughs> safe with you. Exactly. I need to find a better fit. That's your exactly. nasty. That was my nasty gram. <laughs> I wrote her a scathing email where like, I said I couldn't come I anymore and I am was uncomfortable. Busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy. <laughs> you know, our and schedules just don't line up. I gave her a piece of my mind <laughs> by not coming back by just saying I was my work schedule changed no but it was a little bit more than that yeah but, but I, I definitely it, you know that therapy had a that therapy experience sh there was definitely a lens a spiritual lens and an expectation and judgment around the decision I was making there wasn't room for what is my experience what is the decision that I am making you know, and how can I support you in that process? It was just like, you need to align yourself with scripture and submit to your husband. So how, can you imagine being a therapist, like trying to get people to align themselves with an ancient book from a different culture? Yeah. I mean, that's hard to do. It's, it is hard to do. And I think that's the other thing is like, even well-intentioned Christian therapists, you know, when it comes down to divorce, Everyone is like doing backwards somersaults to make it work. Like, well, actually, he left you first because he never kept his vow to begin with. Or, well, actually, pornography meant that one person was cheating on others. So technically, you're released. It's like, what are we in a mm. legal? Like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. What are we doing here? And those are just those are just a few of the examples I've heard mm -hmm. over and over about like, when I went through my divorce, I had people who were on staff with me and as missionaries uh, like years before say like, well, who was unfaithful to who? And I was like, that is none of your business. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And really inappropriate that you need to have an, I don't answer to you. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. But that's really common. That's really mm -hmm. common in the Christian world. And that moral, you have this moral compass about when it's okay to behave certain ways and when it's not. And if it doesn't work with the Bible, you're just wrong. And we mm -hmm. talked about, we were listening to a sermon this weekend about anger. Like for two seconds, we listened. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing to do you on Sundays <laughs> is to make you, you listen to a random sermon. <laughs> I get really mad. 
But we were talking about this, you know, this pastor was saying, you know, what are you going to do to get rid of your anger? Mm-hmm. And you had a really interesting mm-hmm. commentary to that. Mm-hmm. What did you say when you were, when this person was like basically saying you need to get rid of your anger? I was saying you're giving anger a ton of power if you have to get rid of it. Like that's anger is an informant. It tells us that something is off. It's something to be trusted. It's not something to get rid of. To resist. It's, exactly. it's really like, wow, I'm angry. I need to pay attention to that and act appropriately, not try to squelch my anger. Right. Isn't that fascinating? There's judgment there. Yeah. Like you shouldn't have it, so squelch it. Versus it being like, that's that's interesting. You're feeling angry. Tell us, you know, let's figure that out. Yeah. Like, let me listen to it. Anger is this protective bear mm-hmm. that comes out. Which is which is another layer for myself that is a big difference in, you know, Christian therapy versus secular therapy is how the range of emotions that we are able to play in, mm-hmm. you know, like I, in secular therapy. Yes. Even things like jealousy, anger, lust, um, hatred. I think of all those powerful emotions. Yeah that are no-nos, you know, to, it's like a big confession if you say I hate somebody or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But in the secular world, it's like, it's almost, it has very little power in it because I think in, in my own experience, it's just something to be noted. That's it. Yeah. And some, and I think the thing that I love too, and this is from Dr. Joan Rosenberg, she talks about some emotions are less comfortable than others. Right. And, that's okay too. And it's not a judgment. It's like sadness is not always comfortable and that's okay. Maybe for some people, happiness isn't comfortable, but if you can walk through and, and accept the emotion that you're experiencing the moment, it'll wash through you Mm -hmm. like a wave and you'll move on with your day Mm -hmm. versus resisting it or Mm -hmm. trying just like, why do I feel this way? I shouldn't feel this way. I can't be feeling this way. Well, you do. So Mm -hmm. here we are. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's so important. I know I used to have my anxiety kept cranking up through my 20s and early 30s. And in the last few years, I mean, <laughs> COVID gives anybody anxiety. But in terms of like my own self-worth and how I see myself, I live in like a different planet now because I've found therapists that allow me to be me. Mm-hmm. Karen was my first therapist who was like, um, I believe there's a higher power. I don't care what you believe unless it informs the way that you want to process your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. And we were talking with Dana and I try this question out on therapists. It's like, we should all have like a test question and see if they pass. I got one. But um, my test question is like, I just am this very intense person Mm. and people don't always know how to experience me because I also seem fun loving and like loose, but I'm actually kind of like wound kind of tight and I'm an intense person. Mm -hmm. You would know Mm -hmm. more than most. She's intense, y'all. And she was like, okay. She's like, I know. I knew that from like the first time we met. And I was like, you did? <laughs> she's like, yeah. So hey, uh, what do you want to talk about now? And I was kind of like, <laughs> and I remember my Christian therapist, I brought up like, I just feel so intense. And she was like, maybe you need to really bring that down a couple mm. notches and like find a more middle ground. So mm-hmm. that people basically, so you're more palatable. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, I can't do that. Like you're asking a fish to climb a tree right now. I really don't know how to be, I don't know how to do what you're asking me to do. And it was so different to have a therapist just be like, great. This is how you're wired. Like it doesn't mean that you are messed up. It doesn't mean you have to be something different, 
Let's start there. Like, what do you get out of being intense? So we Mm. talked about like, I get to be a speaker. I love being in intense situations. Mm -hmm. It's exciting to me. She's like, great. So do we want to talk about like your family of origin or what sounds good today? And it was kind (laughs) of just like, I loved that experience. It was the first time where I got to accept that that's who I really was. That's a powerful moment. Yeah. Instead of it being like, that's not what a woman of Christ, of course, he doesn't want you. You're too intense. You know? I'm like, well, I have to completely be somebody different to stay married to somebody who doesn't actually like me. That mm-hmm. sounds like a blast, <laughs> you know? That'll be $90. That'll be $90. Thank you so much. <laughs> and I don't take insurance. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> I think the other thing that you've said, though, too, that's different is that in the village, when you're in church Christian therapy, you are really the passenger. Can you talk a little bit about that versus the driver? Yeah, I love this analogy. and It's, it's actually a coaching analogy. Um, that my mentor coach taught me a long time ago. But it's this idea when you are in Christian therapy, the therapist is in the driver's seat taking you on the journey. Of so, holiness. Of holiness. They're <laughs> guiding you with scriptural passages. There's... Um, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. My hands just started sweating. Yeah. Like, this is the passage, so how are we going to get you to be more this way? Pretty much. You're about to roll oh, over my over dog. Over the dog? Yeah, there's a dog on the ground. She's on my coat. All my dogs are obsessed with Lauren, and it's fine. I'm not mad. I am mad, actually. She I need to go to therapy so about this. cute. Okay. They all want to be in her clothes, on her lamp, and she forgets that they're, like, literally behind her. Okay. Yeah. Back to the story. So, so versus the woods, where, you know, the the therapist is more of a passenger. So I am driving the process. So if it's a conversation I want to have, it's where I want to go in emotion. I want to share a thing. I want to explore. They're just along for the ride. There's no, they're just experiencing it with me versus Mm -hmm. driving the process, Mm -hmm. which feels very authentic and supportive. And that whole therapeutic relationship, which is based on someone being your mirror, your model, that safe container for you, all of those pieces, I have felt much more safe in that way because there's also uh, even deeper than all of that is that the therapist isn't fragilizing me because Mm. they believe that I've, I'm truly driving this process. There's no need for them to drive it for me. So I leave truly becoming more of who I was supposed to be and feeling more powerful. That has been my own experience. So what do you think the true function of therapy is at its core, at its best? I think the function of therapy is to be seen, heard, and connected. And that truly someone listening to our experience is the main vessel and how that happens. So just to have somebody present without judgment and supportive is the is the is like the the salt and pepper of the whole recipe. Like it's <laughs> Are you hungry? Yeah. <laughs> steak. <laughs> steak, 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 steak. I'm sorry. What are we doing? Steak. <laughs> That's what I would say. I would just, Mm. that's, you know, I, and I'm not trying to minimize therapists at all because there is a ton of methodology and science and research and the human brain is amazing and neuroscience is real, all these pieces. And that relationship is crucial. 
What would you say? That's interesting that you say that because I've been listening to On Becoming a Person Mm -hmm. by Carl Rogers, Mm -hmm. who has some really interesting... I'm a fan of Carl Rogers. I'm a fan of a lot of therapists, though. But um, just this idea that that therapeutic relationship, believing the best about somebody, creating a space, Mm -hmm. um, unconditional positive regard, I think is how he's Carl Rogers says it. Um, This idea that you just have somebody in your life who believes in you, who gives you space to process. He's... This is the most, and you can attach in some way that's healthy for that person and be stable for them. That's the best thing you can offer them. Mm -hmm. I think that's just fascinating because, and then, like you said, having these structures that therapists, when they're listening to us, they're thinking through an infrastructure. And I think what they're doing is they're organizing your experiences in a way that they can mirror it back to you Mm -hmm. and help you continue to process because I know I've had times where people where my therapist has said that makes perfect sense that you feel that way most people as they grow up have to have some separation from their parents and learn that they're differentiated from them and they have to create their and I'm like oh I'm not alone in this or whatever it is yeah there's so many patterns that humans are patterned beings so it makes sense that we also have similar life experiences that they've done research around and understand deeper. You know, I think about somebody like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who came up with the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And then Kessler, who's take, mm-hmm. David Kessler, who's taken her work to the next level mm-hmm. and talked about other stages of grief beyond that. And, you know, that it can be really helpful to understand a pattern of how humans work through something as heavy as grief. Heck Yeah. But that doesn't mean there's a moral edge to it, that one stage is better than the next. And that's where I think yeah. it gets weird. Yeah. That's where it gets a little wonky because then you're like, let me overlay the Bible on this. And now you just have a mess. Or if you're like not going through it at the right amount of time at the right speed. And it's yes. like, what's holding you back? Are you not praying enough? You know, then mm-hmm. there's just, there's, yeah, I don't need to go down that rabbit hole. I want to end with this idea that you can't be in a healthy relationship and be gay or that kids that are raised in a home with gay parents turn out to be criminals. <laughs> <laughs> Have we thought that? Maybe. Maybe. Um, well, we've been reading this book, Modern Kinship, together. Yeah. And it's um, it's called, it's a queer guide to Christian marriage. And um, it's written by David and Constantino Kalaf. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But there is a section in here by... Um, where they talked with Julie Schwartz Gottman. And so for those of you that don't know, Gottman is she and her husband are, uh, they really, well, one, they both created the Gottman Institute and they are the world's leading organization for the research and study of marriage. So they've been doing this for 30 they know plus a thing years. Or two. Yeah. <laughs> if you know Gottman, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Google yeah. it. They it's can, the signs that a relationship is falling apart. They can tell and... I think it's 30 nine, seconds? 90 seconds. 90 seconds if a relationship is going to last yes. with a freakish amount of accuracy. accuracy with, I think it's like 96% accuracy. Yeah. So, you know, they know a thing or two. And I have a ton of respect for the Gottmans, their, the Gottman method, what you just said, Lens. As I was reading this, she talked about how back in the 80s and 90s, so she is Jewish and um, it really broke her heart that you know, that there was a lot of discrimination going on for gay, for LGBTQ couples. And so that became part of her mission is to provide, you know, um, therapy and counseling for gay couples as well as hetero couples. 
But what she found in their research, because they um, it came out in 2003, is that there was not a difference at all in healthy relationships for gay versus straight couples. Didn't you say she actually thought that gay couples were healthier? Here's the thing, y'all. I'm not here to brag. Yep. Asterisk. They actually found that... Um, they that gay relationships tended to be a bit healthier than those of heterosexual couples because there were a couple differences. Let's hear it. Yeah. Lauren's reading her book right now, by yeah, the way. Yeah, because I think it's interesting. It's so interesting. So um, one of the things is, is that there is more humor during their conflicts. <laughs> That's why I wanted to read this. <laughs> um, they were often good friends. We are. BFFs. They could talk much more directly about sex and therefore had more contented sexual relationships because they really understood each other's needs. That makes perfect sense. And for lesbians, much of that was the same. That was for gay. <laughs> and so they, I mean, that was for um, gay men versus lesbian women. Oh, okay. So she was studying gay men and lesbian women in yes. two groups. All of it. And the other piece too, is that they did a huge longitudinal study with children of gay straight and then single mom homes mm. and there was no difference for the child in the gay versus straight home not in terms of like healthy outcomes, healthy outcomes being yes. well adjusted mm -hmm. all of those things um the ben the main benefit they saw is that a child does benefit from being in a two-parent household just because that makes i mean i i've been a single mom for several years and i a hundred percent agree with that oh my gosh we tag team literally all yeah. day because yeah. you can imagine if you're and if you're a single parent out there we get it i've been i've been one yeah i don't why am i saying we like i've been a single yeah. parent i've been a single parent <laughs> for an hour when you went to barnes and noble and left me <laughs> um <laughs> but it's like you just hit the end of your rope and you need support as an adult it's just harder you're you're wearing so many hats so and at the same time you know being a single parent is a better case scenario than what it was or it is it just is what and do you mean meaning like if you leave an abusive relationship, go oh. be a single parent. It's better than to be in an abusive relationship. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. I.e. myself, you know, so there are a lot of circumstances and, um, I, I just thought it's, it's such good validation for us because that information, trust me, was not shared on at Sunday service in the That's village. Weird. <laughs> That's weird. The pastor didn't get up there and say, Hey, all you LGBTQ folk that are here, we exactly. want you to know that you actually are better you know? at marriage than we are. And we would love for you to run our marriage therapy, therapy. <laughs> groups. Exactly. And help us understand how to talk about sex. <laughs> if that happened, I would... <laughs> Sorry, that was too loud. It was so loud. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, stop She's being so, so funny. funny, you know? <laughs> but that is, you know, based in science, that would be a better outcome. Yeah. For us to lead that, we should go over to the mega church down the street and let them Take know that book. we are here. We are here in queer to help them with their marriages. Well, and I think too, just for myself, I have such reverence for the, the Gottmans. I've... um I've, I've followed their work. Well, isn't that ironic that a lot of Christian groups that's follow the Gottmans? That's what I'm about to say. That, you're Sorry, taking my line. It's perfect. That's that's the thing. So we piecemeal our our resources too because yep. that was that was not shared, brought up. Gottman's wife is like, actually, 
you know, the gays are doing a great job raising their kids. No, 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 no. Let's not talk about that. Let us stay in the lane of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and blame it all on the wife too. And not even make it even. Well, and they get a lot of um, criticism because their focus is on egalitarian relationship. Right. But it gets twisted in Christian counseling. I think their research gets twisted all the time. Yeah, it does. They get, they get upset about it. So anyway, anywho, this modern kinship for anyone who's considering, you know, marriage, whatever, it's a great resource and there's a ton of great excerpts and it was, the afford was done by Rachel Held Evans. So much respect for her. Yes. Rachel. Mm -hmm. She was such a A huge ally and Mm -hmm. really understood the importance of inclusivity, radical inclusivity for gay couples mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so sad that we don't get to keep her. We didn't get to keep her longer. She, they talk about her in this book and they said how, um, how important it was to Rachel to have LGBTQ married families in her social circle so that her kids could see difference. Her kids could see difference and connection Oh gosh! and how important that was to her. So, um, I just, I, I really respect what she's brought to, you know, the LGBTQ community and also in this book. Man. Yeah. Well, we definitely want you to be a part of this conversation. We've been talking about our experiences in therapeutic yeah. environments, both in the woods and in the village. Mm-hmm. You know, the village brings a certain amount of certainty. There's a way you live and we're going to shape you in that way. And the woods is kind of wild. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear your experiences in these environments in either one, in either environment, the village or the woods, I know it would help our whole community continue to grow and not feel alone. You can find us at facebook.com. Facebook is like this new site that is like getting kind of popular. (laughs) So you should check it out. Uh, But if you go to facebook.com backslash groups and then just do one more backslash real quick and write the woods podcast. That's us. Or just find me on any social media channel and just say, Hey, can you add me to the group? And I'd be happy to, We are so glad we get to be on this journey with you over the village wall into the woods. We're going to be okay. We're sticking together until next time. You can find us wild and free in the woods. 